Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. This is an effort to take back our rights and enshrine them in the Arizona Constitution. We know that a majority of Arizonans and Americans support the right for people to make their own decisions about health care, including abortion, without government interference. Today marks an historic step in preserving the majesty of this place. First among American landmarks, sacred to tribal nations, revered by every American. It speaks to the soul of our nation. And I cannot wait until January 20th, 2025, when Donald Trump rips up this executive order with Paul Gosar standing there and Arizona can finally start taking its ground back. My fellow sheriffs and I have tried to partner with this administration to include the president of the United States with with high hopes to share a collective message, collective action uh, plan, prioritize our southern border and provide up reference community impacts and concerns with little to no success. The political reality is you got to give something to get something. And so uh, we, we understand why this happened, but that doesn't lessen the impact and the necessity for us to find a way to, re- to recover that revenue. We wanted to continue uh, a nationally competitive, nationally recognized, not only university, but athletic program. And with me to talk about the new ballot measure aimed at adding abortion rights to the state constitution, President Biden visiting Arizona and more, our former former congressional and gubernatorial candidate, Christine Jones. Christine, good morning. Good morning. And former state lawmaker, Aaron Lieberman. Aaron, good morning to you. Great to be here, Mark. So, Aaron, let me start with you about uh, this coalition that has come together to start collecting a lot of signatures in the next little less than a year to uh, put a constitutional amendment uh, referral on the ballot uh, dealing with abortion rights. This is something, of course, that a series of groups, a slightly smaller set of groups last year in the immediate aftermath of the Supreme Court decision in the Dobbs case tried to do, and that did not work. Folks seem much more optimistic about this one. Are they right to feel more optimistic this time? I think so. I I hope so. There just wasn't a lot of time last time in terms of the amount of time it takes to collect signatures. I think the biggest thing about this is the actual language that they included in it, which is basically the reasonable set of uh, the Roe framework that we used to have in Arizona. And it's not what I'm sure some of the strongest advocates wanted, but it it actually is where the great majority of Arizonans are in terms of making sure a woman has a right to choose. Well, Christine, it seems like the language was kind of a a stumbling block last year in terms of, to Aaron's point, trying to get everybody to agree on what they should actually be asking voters to sign off on. Yeah, that's right. And and even if you have more than 50 percent of voters agreeing on something, you're not going to get more than 50 percent of the people agreeing on no limitations whatsoever. So the Ohio proposition, I think, kind of gives this roadmap to both sides, frankly, right, to the left, which is going to say, or the, the pro-choice community, which is going to say, let's put in, to Aaron's point, a set of reasonable restrictions. And for the right to say, OK, now we know what we're up against. Now we know that we have to go out there and say we are here to protect life. And let's not discount how powerful the Center for Arizona Policy is. And this is their favorite issue. So it is going to be a Goliath versus Goliath fight. Well, I mean, the 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 pro side, the, the folks who are who are pushing this are estimating 40 to 50 million dollars to both collect signatures and get it on the ballot. That is a lot of money. Yeah, that 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 is an incredible amount of money. And it, it gets to all of the restrictions that have been put up on the initiative process here in Arizona over the last decade, which I think are unfortunate. This is a good example. And, and, and the one thing I'll say, Christine, it's not just people on the left who want to have a woman's right to choose. I mean, we've got tons of Republicans and we see this in the polling 
um, that really want to have this sort of basic ability to protect a woman's right to choose. Look at Ohio. I mean, this is a over, you know, increasingly Republican state that over, I think, by 12 points voted to preserve the initiative process, most specifically so that they could have a chance to vote on the upcoming uh, uh, abortion initiative there. And I think it just speaks to it. It's certainly not a, a majority, but there's a significant re, you know, group of Republicans. And I know, frankly, there were a lot of the folks who voted for me and got me elected to the legislature who um, are more liberal on social issues, conservative fiscally, and they don't like the direction that we've gone on this. Christine, this is there's been a lot of discussion about the impact that if this makes it to the ballot, and that's an if at this point, what kind of impact that might have on voter turnout? Will it drive folks who maybe on the left are supportive of abortion rights? Might it drive folks who are more on the, the pro-life side? What are your feelings on this at this moment in terms of what kind of impact, given everything else on the ballot, what, what impact might this initiative have if it makes the ballot? It actually could have a very positive impact on voter turnout. Because the top of the ticket is going to be difficult. If it's a Biden-Trump rematch, you might have a lot of Democrats staying home because it's a snoozer, and you might have a lot of Republicans staying home because they've left the Trump tent. This would get people energized on both sides of the issue. And frankly, those former Trump supporters who have single-issue voting tendencies will come out, and they will get their friends out to make sure that this does not become law. And I don't think we want to overlook Aaron's point about the difficulty of getting this on the ballot because Mm -hmm. the Republicans in the legislature will do everything in their power to make sure this never sees the light of day. Well, it's interesting, Christine, and you referenced the Ohio special election just this week on issue one, which was not about abortion, but it kind of was framed in that context in terms of raising the threshold for support for a constitutional amendment to pass in that state. And that lost pretty handily, as have, you know, other issues that would have uh, reduced, uh, imposed more abortion restrictions have also failed since the fall of Roe, whereas initiatives that that would give more rights in terms of abortion rights have done pretty well. So does that give us any kind of indication? Obviously, it will probably be close. It will be very expensive. There will be a lot of turnout, as you say. But can we look to any of those other elections as sort of a a roadmap for what we might be looking at here? Well, if you had asked me two years ago, I would have said yes. I'm not really sure how how to game plan that now because we've seen surprising results from some of our recent elections. But let's don't discount the fact that this is an issue of passion. And the Supreme Court said it is up to you now, states. It's possible that, like with Red for Ed, it takes a couple of cycles to actually get this thing to the ballot. But once it gets there, people are going to be passionate about it. And I think the Ohio example probably gives us at least some kind of roadmap of how it's going to turn out here. I just I, and I, I think the great worry, certainly among Democrats, is it doesn't meet the same faith that Red Fred did, which was pass at the ballot box and then have a small number you know, of, of uh, elected officials of the other party actually get it thrown out by judges instead of listening to what the people wanted. I mean, I think it's pretty clear if this gets on the ballot, it will pass. Whether that stays and, you know, survives all the challenges and everything else that's been thrown up is is another question. It's also not clear what happens when you increase turnout on a top line issue like this, how that affects lower down issues. And I mean, we saw that even in the last election. 
a lot of people came out and vote for Governor Hobbs. By the time they got to the attorney general's race, you know, with a similarly extreme candidate, they were like, well, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not voting for all Democrats. So they start to pick some Republicans in some of these lower turnout races. We've definitely seen that in legislative races. So even getting people out, especially low propensity voters who might be in the middle, you're not sure the impact that's going to have down the line. So that that's a big unknown. Um, even if even if you do see record turnout, even if it passes, the impact of that is not always as clear as we'd like here in Arizona. Yeah, it seems like a lot of ifs between now and, and November sure. of next year. So something that is not an if, at least at this moment, is a new national monument in northern Arizona. President Biden was here uh, at the Grand Canyon to declare this new national monument, basically a million or so acres around the Grand Canyon that is now off limits uh, to uranium mining. This is, as we've discussed, a swing state. And Christine, does this help the president at all in this state? I mean, Native Americans, the tribal vote is pretty reliably Democratic. Is this maybe part of an effort to shore up the base there? Well, certainly in a closely contested race like what we saw in 2020, every single vote matters. And even though the Native American populations are sort of presumptively Democratic voters, they are not presumptive voters. So having a reason for them to support a candidate of any stripe and getting those voters to the polls, which is not that easy when you live on a reservation, mm-hmm. probably may may turn out some of the additional voters. But I think let's not lose sight of the fact that we've just declared a, a, a piece of property that's the size of the state of Rhode Island, uh, you know, that will never be able to be developed for time and all eternity. And once that message starts to get traction with Republicans or land developers, you may have an, an equal impact on the on the people that come out to vote. Hmm. Interesting. And Aaron, a number of of some of your former colleagues were up in Mojave County uh, on the Republican side, basically saying, we don't like it. Don't do it. Yeah. Uh, um, Look, not a huge surprise there in terms of who was who was making the announcement and what they were doing. Not 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 their favorite president of the United States, for sure. I think um, I think there's two elements of this, as Christine said, just getting more turnout on 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 tribal areas is is huge. There's 300,000 Navajo on the reservation. I mean, just think if you increase that turnout by one or two percentage points, I think most people think that's what got Janet Napolitano elected in her first election. It Mm. certainly helped Governor Hobbs. And in these elections, which was, you know, Biden, Trump last time came down to thousands of votes, tens of thousands, you know, very, very, very close. That's a huge deal. But honestly, if you ask like Joe or Jane, Arizona, should we be mining for uranium near the Grand Canyon? I think overwhelmingly the answer is no. It's a it's a wonder of the world. I, I think every Arizonan is so proud that our state is home to this incredible thing. I know so many people who will go up to the Grand Canyon three or four times a year, independent of their politics. I think they're glad to not see a big drilling rig up there. And I, I think this is one of those, if you take a couple of steps back and you kind of look at it from a distance, most people are like, yeah, we, we, we hand, hands off the Grand Canyon. Let's keep that for our future generations and, and we'll, we'll see where it goes. Well, Christine, maybe this, to your point earlier, maybe gets to the the framing of the argument, right? Like, I, I think, I I'm not sure. I would imagine that Aaron is probably right, that if you say, should we be mining in the Grand Canyon? Most people would say, no, let's it's a national park. It's beautiful. Leave it alone. But to your point of now, like there's a million acres of land, a size of, of Rhode Island or bigger than L.A. That, By the way, like, that's Rhode Island's problem that it's so small. That's not our problem. We're a great big Western <laughs> hey, state. Leave little Rhodey out of this. All right. Um, but like, Christine, to your point that. Uh, you know, that there's this area now that can't ever be developed. Like, it's, that's a, a very, you're talking about the same thing, but you're talking about it in very different ways, which I suppose is kind of the art of, of campaigning, isn't it? That's exactly right. And what we're talking about is not mining in the Grand Canyon. The the land that was designated as many, many, many miles to the north around, and many, 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 it, many yeah. miles to the south. And 
all you have to do is look at the, the spot on the map. And then you also have an entire mining industry. And by the way, they exist in the clean energy space. We need uranium to have nuclear power. And all you have to do is say, look, let me explain how this works. Let me explain all the safeguards against groundwater contamination. We do it with copper mining here in Arizona frequently. We do it with uranium in other states. And so, you know, that battle of messaging may actually tip to the side of the clean energy folks, which weirdly now are aligned with the don't designate the, the land people. So it'll be interesting to see how that messaging comes out. Quickly, Erin, before we go to break, did it surprise you at all? There's some written about the fact that when the president was at the Grand Canyon, uh, Senator Cinema was with him, but Congressman Gallego, who's running in that race, was not. Well, he Congress it was it was very it was stagecraft there. Congressman Gallego greeted the plane and got an opportunity to tell him. And it just happened that his first day of his son's school, he said, was that next day, so he wasn't able to be there. It was very nice how that all worked out for everybody involved. I'm sure President Biden is counting on Senator Cinema's vote for something in this next 12 month period. And I'm also sure that uh, he's going to be supporting our our congressman as the Democratic nominee for Senate. Christine, we read this week that uh, perhaps the worst kept secret in Arizona politics, maybe not the worst, one of the worst, is that uh, Axios reported that uh, former gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake is staffing up for a U.S. Senate run expected, according to this report, to announce maybe in October-ish or so. Um, This can't be much of a surprise, can it? No, I think this has been expected for a long time, for many months. She has publicly devoted herself to pursuing her election challenges and, and the, the lawsuits that have been pending. But I don't think it's a surprise to anybody. What could be the surprise is that it's basically hers to lose. And so if we are to have a, three, a three-way race here between cinema and, and uh, Gallego and, and Lake, it'll be interesting to see how that comes out. But no, nobody's surprised. I didn't get a response back from her when I asked her about that last night, probably because she was in a meeting trying to hire somebody to, to do something on the campaign. Well, so here's the thing that, that I think is interesting to a lot of folks is that this is a U.S. Senate seat and it's not an incumbent Republican seat. These seats you know, only come up every six years. And so far on the GOP side, there's one candidate. And, you know, with no, you know, no disrespect to Mark Lamb, the Pinal County sheriff, it almost seems as though other Republican potential candidates have been waiting to see what Kerry Lake was going to do before they decided what they were going to do. There, that is not an overstatement. There is no doubt that she's the front runner for that particular primary. You know, you have a Jim Lehman or Blake Masters or some of the people that had run mm-hmm. in the prior cycle who have been literally deferring to Lake in terms of her entry into the race. She is still very well liked by the Republican Party. How she plays statewide is is a different story. She could tweak a couple of things in her messaging and and she would win in a landslide. Whether she decides to do that or not, I don't know. If whether she jettisons the Trump support in favor of a more peaceful Arizona type message, we'll we'll have to wait and see. Well, she's going to Iowa, I think, sometime in the near future to campaign for President Trump. So it doesn't seem like she's throwing that off anytime soon. I'll make soon. some bold predictions here. <laughs> Carrie Lake isn't going to tone it down as she's all in. I mean, I, I, again, I think if she stopped communicating, she probably w- would have been our governor after winning the primary. I won two very nice dinners at Stake 44 on the bet in the last cycle. I'm going to make the exact same bet again. She will win the Republican primary and she will lose the general election. And honestly, for Democrats, it's a gift. This is an interesting year because will that support more benefit Senator Sinema if she is in the race in the middle? Will um, Congressman Gallego be able to peel some of that off? 
it's very interesting. And I've been surprised by the numbers. Uh, Congressman Gallego looks really good. And it, it's the the Democratic uh, antipathy towards Senator Cinema is very, very high. And I think any electoral case was kind of counting on her bringing a bunch of Democrats with her. Uh, we've seen some polling and other stuff. It's like nine out of 10 strongly disapprove. I mean, those are like in some of the polling we saw in a, a recent race, like Governor Ducey, when he was in office, was more popular with Democratic primary voters than Senator Cinema. <laughs> so it's going to it's going to be interesting, but we've never had a race like this. And there's a lot of money that's going to be spent. And, um, you know, I wouldn't count out any very experienced politicians like Senator Cinema, but it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, we talked about the amount of money the abortion issue will will be generating if that makes the ballot. I, I would imagine, Christine, this will like put that to shame. Yeah. And, it, and it, speaking of shames, that is a real shame. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wish we could just put the three of them in a mud wrestling tournament or, or like bet, the Elon I bet Musk on, I or bet Mark on Zuckerberg. Gallego, former Maybe Marine. ping pong or something instead, <laughs> yeah, a little, little uh, you know, and, and spend the billion dollars on cancer research or something yeah. like that. No, the spending here is going to be out of control. And ironically, most of it will probably come from out of state, from people that don't even have a chance to vote in the election. And if we could take the 40 or fee million against the abortion proposition and, and the 500 million to a billion that's seemingly going to be spent on the Senate race and do something productive with it, I'd sure love to see uh, that. Uh, but I, I, I know. I understand. It's, it's naive and, and op- overly optimistic I on mean, my just, part. Just to put that number in context, I mean, to think about they're talking a billion dollars could be spent on a single Senate race. I think that's more money than Barack Obama's the, the entire, entire presidential election. Maybe both you, of them. You know what I mean? For the entire yeah. country. and. The reality is, and I think this is what gets so frustrating to people in Arizona, it's a small number of undecided voters, and we all just get blasted with TV and everything else. I'm a dedicated sports watcher. I almost get sick of watching sports <laughs> because I'm getting every last you know, commercial break is one ad after another yeah. saying this, saying that, and it's, it, it is exhausting for sure. All right, Aaron, let me ask you about uh, another uh, controversy that came up this week with the Maricopa County uh, Democratic Party, which led to the chairperson resigning this week over a mailer that uh, for a last election that did not end up going out. Some uh, allegations of maybe nepotism here. Like, what do you what do you make of what's going on here? Look, it's definitely unfortunate. I, I, I'm like, if you're a, a mail house, you, you've got one job, like get the thing in the mail and get it out. <laughs> I really don't understand how you get paid for a mailer and, and, and don't do it. I do know Nancy Scriber, who, who, who uh, uh, I would say kind of retired, it, it, essentially. She's a, one of these dedicated community leaders who has put her heart and soul. She was the head of the LD28 Democrats in um, both of my first elections. I think she's just a tired volunteer who ended up with a much more controversial thing and is kind of exhausted by this. It's unfortunate. I, I know Nancy felt like she was kind of backing a, a a leader who she had done a lot of good work with. And I think in the end, as I understand it, found out that, there, you know, she wasn't being Nancy wasn't being given the straight deal. So it's unfortunate. You know, stuff happens. Politics is 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 messy when you're working with people. And, and you know, I think from the Democratic perspective, the sooner we can get this in the rearview mirror, the better. How, uh, Christine, how significant might this be? And we're talking about a, a county party you know, a year out, more than a year out from an election. Like, does this does this have lingering potential ramifications, do you think? Well, I guess it's a matter of sort of inside baseball with the Democratic Party. But, you know, spending $24,000 on a mailer for a local race is an enormous amount of money. OK, I know we just talked about a billion <laughs> for a Senate race, but perspective. Here, but yeah. literally that that will make the difference in some of these local sure. races. So, you know, are the Democrats going to get in sort of this internal, you know, circular firing squad fight over this, or are they going to put it behind them? But let's don't lose sight of the fact that the 
county parties, particularly in Maricopa County, are very powerful. Most of the vote comes from Maricopa. And so they're going to have to sort this thing out and figure out how to how to move ahead. And maybe they just make it up to the candidate. Yeah. And, I don't know. And, and this might be a difference between Democrats and Republicans. I always go back to the Will Rogers. I, you know, I, I'm a member of no organized political party. I'm a Democrat. <laughs> yeah. We're messy. There's a lot of arguments. There's a lot of back and forth. And in the end, it all kind of seems to to move forward. To win elections, you need great candidates. And this will be, you know, long forgotten by the time people are choosing who they're going to vote for in 24. So another uh, issue involving uh, Democrats, this one, the, the state level, was a judge this week uh, decided that a Democratic challenge to the No Labels Party was not going to be successful, meaning that, in theory, that this party could be on the ballot. Democrats had kind of said the quiet part out loud, right? Yeah. We're like, if this party is on the ballot, this could make it harder for us to get uh, to get elected. Aaron, is this a, a concern for, for Democrats statewide? You're, t- you're talking sort of bullishly about yeah. what next year might look, look like. Look, this is this is a tough one for me because I'm like, a let everybody vote and let's count the votes and see how we do. Personally, I don't like to get into this kind of tactics where you're trying to reduce people's exposure ability to do what they want to do in our current system. Uh, I, you know, I think the fear is pretty obvious, which is, you, you know, our statewide elections, our close elections like the ones I had in my legislative district – it's decided by the independents in the middle. And they're often low ID voters. They don't have a lot of information going to vote. They usually haven't voted in a primary because they're um, non-affiliated. And when they get there, if they see something like no labels, they, you know, that that might feel like a safe home, even though in the in the overall context, it might be a throwaway vote for a candidate who's never going to win. But that peels it off of, frankly, the centrists on both sides who could otherwise win in these closely elected things. That that's the formula that has been working for Democrats is running kind of a a, a more pragmatic Democrat against an extreme conservative Republican and in a close election, you know, having that pragmatic person win. This could potentially get right in the way of that. Again, personally, I like let's let everybody vote and have the candidate who has the best ideas win. Well, so, Christine, is this the to Aaron's point? Is this the kind of, of issue that maybe in some races won't really matter, but in some races where you have a Doug Ducey, for example, or a Kimberly Yee, for example, might make more of a difference? Well, it could make a difference for both of them, two major parties. But and frankly, it could have been the Republicans that brought this challenge just as well. Right. It's just the Democrats got there first, I think, as a practical matter. But the Democrats are still reeling over H. Ross Perot running for president. Right. I mean, these these scars run long and deep with the Democrats. And, and look, if you're talking about running a pragmatist against an extremist, your middle party, your no labels, your independent, your no party designated person is always going to peel off votes from the pragmatist, right? So I think on balance, the Democrats probably are more at risk here. So I understand why it's a little scary to think of pulling votes from the Dems and it tips to the Republicans. It, to me, it's just another example of why we need to get to a open primary system because it's a lot less scary when you have a, going to that final election, a broader group of people, things like ranked choice voting. Again, things that give people more choices and more options. When there's more light shining in, you tend to get those more pragmatic candidates on both sides. And frankly, that's what's been sorely needed and so refreshing in our state politics over the last six months is there's actually been negotiations between Democrats and Republicans to get things done. Like, that's what we need and that's what Arizonans really want. You want to see a ballot proposition that raises a lot of money to spend against proposed ranked choice voting or open primaries, yeah. that will be a massive dogfight. Which we might see coming up next year. It's possible. I'm, but I'm the hopeful. Republicans will never support that.
Well, you know it's a you know it's a good idea when both the Democrats and the Republicans are are fighting against it. To your to your point, and that's really the situation where the Democratic Party is like, well, we don't want ranked choice voting. The Repu-, you know that that means we're we're getting somewhere in my my view. All right, I'll have to leave it there. Aaron Lieberman, Christine Jones, thanks you both for coming in. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Mark. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.